And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Race IndyCar podcast. Coming up this week, we've got a deep dive into the busy Long Beach race, including a look at the epic defensive driving on display by Joseph Newgarden, a tactical gamble from Roman Grosjean, questions over Colton Herter's consistency, and a look at the under-the-radar Alex Polo. Here, as ever, is my trusty co-host, Mr. Driver Guy, J.R. Hildebrand, who's in the paddock at the weekend. J.R., back in your native California, how are, how are things? Where are you now, and, and what are you up to? Yeah, uh, was hanging out all weekend, and um, I'm yeah still in California here, if you can tell by my much more mediocre mic situation <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> they stayed at a friend's house up up in the valley, as they as it's known. Um, so yeah, taking taking off tomorrow, and on my end, yeah, starting to get ready for indie open test next week, and um, you know, looking looking forward to the 500. But great to be down here for Long Beach for sure. We'll definitely get into the open test a bit later on, but uh, before we do that, there was talk of this race being the Long Beach. I mean, by this race being back to pre-pandemic levels in terms of its attendance, can you give us a bit of an insight into into what makes this race so special to be at in terms of uh, you know the the atmosphere and how that compares to to some of the races you've been at at Long Beach in the past? Yeah, I think it's definitely you know felt felt. Uh felt back to normal for sure from that perspective just the this is always a circuit you know and, and frankly i thought even as the final event last year it was just excellent like really it it, it uh, yeah. differentiated itself from everything else that we experienced throughout the year you know as as really feeling like that okay this is we're sort of back this is is abnormal for it to be at that part of the calendar for sure but uh you know just in terms of the attendance and sort of the vibe and uh, it seems like no matter what time of year it is, uh, the weather's always good, and you get a little bit of that California feel. And there, it's one of the great thing, great things about this event is is how packed the on track action is throughout the course of the weekend. So you've got Carrera Cup, you've got drifting, there's Stadium Super Trucks, uh, you know, the historic GTP cars and Group C cars were here this year. Um, so there's you know never lacking for something interesting going on on track. I think from a fan's perspective. You know, it's it's wrapped around the convention center where there's always a bunch of interesting stuff going on and different, you know, the cars are broken up in these different paddocks, obviously not to mention IMSA being here and racing on on Saturday. So just a lot of cool cars and and sort of a, a cultural experience for fans uh, to come out and, and get a, get their fix over the course of a few days over the race weekend. Place definitely seemed packed. It was super hot on Friday cooled off as the weekend came on. So, uh, you know, that definitely felt like it kind of led up to led up to the events on Sunday and, uh, altogether, just, just a great weekend. I think it's also a weekend where as a motorsport community in the United States in particular, everybody really gathers. And so, you know, I attended the road racing drivers club annual dinner that we haven't had for a, a few years now. Um, on Thursday preceding Long Beach Grand Prix, Rick Mears was honored at that event. So, you know, Roger is there, the the gurneys are there, uh, you know, every, everybody who's kind of been around in and around motorsport um, over the last, you know, 40, 50 years uh, shows up. Mario's hanging out, you know, um, it's just a it's a it's a great way to kick off. I think in some respects that really feels that event for those of us, you know, who have been a part of it, it often kind of really feels like the kickoff to the racing season to some degree, just because it's where everybody gets together and, and around this, you know, I don't know if it's pivotal event, but just this important event in, in the motorsport calendar after the 24 hours of Daytona, um, you know, Long Beach Grand Prix, I think really stands out as the next thing on the U S racing you know road racing calendar that is an event that really matters so i think for all of those reasons it just felt felt good to be here you know and i think and you could tell that that was the vibe from everybody else too 
it's got a lot of gravitas from its history as well, isn't it? And it's, you know, that that makes up part of the the kind of um, intangible um, reasons as to why, you know, Long Beach is, is such a kind of storied and, and famous event. So, yeah, great to see. And uh, interesting, you mentioned the support races. I think we could do a whole spin-off podcast on on the support events of, of Long Beach last weekend, especially, <laughs> you know, Joseph Newgarden admitting that the, the Penske guys are sat there in their hall are watching the, uh, the stadium super trucks race. And uh, yeah, we obviously <laughs> had Sebastian Bourdais rip, ripping it up in IMSA as well, which was, uh, which is great to see as well. So yeah, if you've not checked out the action from the support races, definitely recommend doing that. Sorry, we're not going to have time to, to get into that on, on this week's show. Before we go any further, we should run down the IndyCar events of the race in case you missed it or, need a helpful reminder of what happened we had Colton Herter snatching pole as Roman Grosjean crashed on a lap that looked good enough to to beat his teammate or at least was was close enough uh, so it looked like Herter had made up for his mistake in qualifying last year when he had to come from 14th to, to win the race he bossed the first stint but uh a slower stop than his rivals and a, a wicked inlap by reigning champion Alex Pelot meant Herter dropped behind Pelot and Newgarden and was stuck for the stint Herter then crashed on his inlap for the second stop, lamenting what he called a stupid mistake. As Herter emerged from his battered car, so too did Newgarden from the pits and was literally millimetres ahead of Alex Pelot. Uh, after a fairly uneventful first half of the race, that was exactly what we needed. And on hot tyres, Pelot attacked, um, I'd say, uncharacteristically riskily at turn five and, and turn six on Newgarden. Uh, but he held... Herter at bay so well in the early stages and that was kind of a precursor to what we saw with Pelot. He, he clung on even with his ice cold tyres just coming out of the pit. So that was amazing to see. The caution for Herter's crash then bunched up the field and Roman Grosjean, who was on the soft tyres compared to pretty much everybody else in the top 10 at that point, was soon attacking Pelot for second on the restart after Marcus Ericsson had spun out of the podium positions uh, just a, a lap earlier. So Grosjean took two attempts and crucially, much of his push-to-pass boost, which meant he only had two laps on the overtake button to try and pass Newgarden once he got Pelot. So, yeah, basically tried to overtake Pelot. It took two It took two chances and a lot of his push-to-pass, which meant he used a lot of it when it comes to later in the race. It was to no avail. A Newgarden made it three out of three wins for Penske to start this year. Bit of a change from 2021, JR. And uh, two in a row for Newgarden and sends him to the to the top of the championship points. I, I think we get so easily carried away by great overtaking, which, you know, is fair enough. We all love overtakes. It's one of the reasons why we, we get into motorsport. But I have to say a defensive masterclass like Newgarden gave uh, in that race was just as fun to watch in my eyes as any overtake. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed how fantastic he was at keeping people at bay there. That was really cool. JR, just from a, from a driver's perspective, can you explain and, and give us a bit of insight into what it's like behind the visor? You know, just how tough uh, what Newgarden did on his cold tyres to hold off Palou was because, you know, these cars are sketchy and difficult to handle at the best of times. And then when you start throwing them at walls on a street circuit on cold tyres, you know, that is just one of the most difficult things in, in motorsport to have to deal with, surely. Give us a, a bit of a, a taste and an insight into what that's like to, to have to do that. Yeah, it's definitely, it's among the the skills that, you have to, you know, really, you have to really define yourself with in an Indy car, you know, it's not something that you have to do in, in every other category, but, you know, driving, you know, racing in the U S and, and racing in Indy cars, it's a big deal. you just being good on outlaps all by itself is a big deal, but you end up in these kinds of situations often where you're, you've overcut the guy that you're racing against. And so you've done that faster lap on hot tires. You've lasted one lap longer you're, you've come out while they're getting up to speed and you've made that sort of slight transition. And, and, you know, the way that that'll work is five laps later, if you were on completely different parts of the track, you know, you'd end up in, you know, no better or worse, right? Like it would end up being even, but you're trying to just get that track position in this particular situation and, and then, and then hold on to it if you can. So Joseph, I've seen Joseph do this. I mean, his, you know, second season or third, you know, early on in his career, uh, still racing for Sarah Fisher Hartman racing. Uh, and then when they combined with, with ECR, you know, over the, the year or two after that, I've seen him do this at Long Beach. I mean, this has been a part of his repertoire. He's been good at this from very early on, uh, as he's been good at a lot of things, I guess, in the IndyCar, but this is something that, <laughs> that he's definitely just had a knack for. And, uh, you know, I think it, when I put myself in the driver's seat, 
you know, in, in, in his situation, it's really about just having that little bit of, you know, sort of extra spatial awareness, really, like you need to just kind of have an innate sense of where that car is that's behind you chasing you on fresher tires and and alex actually i mean I, we talked about this a little bit uh, at portland last year in that whole crazy first lap you know dixon getting shoved by felix and alex kind of just being a passenger in this you know he's he's on it he's on his own like he's not he didn't do anything wrong but now suddenly he's got to be kind of super aware of where a car is that's in his blind like can't really see it in his mirrors he's maybe got somebody talking to him in his ear about where that is and what's going on but that's all like slightly delayed information so you really the, the best guys in the championship you can pick out these kind of seemingly very different scenarios you know we're talking about new garden on cold tires on an outlap and alex Pillow at the beginning of the race you know starting from pole or you know wherever he was at with just kind of a cluster going into the first corner these guys just have that little bit of extra you know it's like they have a third eye somewhere that's helping them just sort of understand what can i get away with where do i need to make the car a little wider how do i preemptively you know, work myself into a place on the track where it's just going to de-risk, you know, what I have going on to the upcoming corner. Uh, you know, you saw Newgarden in those, in that kind of battle with Pillow. He wasn't making really last minute aggressive. He wasn't getting surprised by what Alex was, was kind of going to do next. You know, you felt like he always kind of had the measure of what Alex was about to try uh and and that's a big piece of it and you saw it throughout the race with colton with alex in that situation with roma like uh, you know in the closing stages of the race i think that's where i was equally impressed with it was as as roma was on him there after he got by alex just you know newgarden did make a small mistake through turn five that opened the door for Roma to get by going into six on on one lap um but after that you could see you could see joseph's you could i mean i like watching those laps kind of wind down it was almost like he then immediately shifted into realizing or or, or refocusing on just get good corner exits pull away from him immediately off the corner and there's no way that he's going to be able to catch you back up by the braking zone. So you kind of go through these stages of, all right, you know, if you just have outright pace, then you can pull away. So sometimes you'll, you'll start out when you've got a guy on you like that, you'll start out by just kind of, I know that if he's right on me, he doesn't have super clean air. If I can extract the outright pace out of the car, by breaking deep and carrying speed through the corner and, and getting as, you know, the exit that I just kind of need to manage all of those things. I'll pull away. You'll kind of try doing that. A lot of times, you know, we saw I, what I saw from Joseph in that battle with Roma was, you know, he was, he was kind of doing that. That wasn't working with, with Roma on the, on the red tire, you know, the red tire was clearly still in its operating range in the beginning of that battle. So he had every bit of the outright pace that Joseph had. And so then it becomes a little bit more defensive of just like, okay, how do I de-risk myself in this situation? If I'm breaking super deep everywhere and trying to carry that speed into the corner and, and, and he's just as good on the brakes, then I'm exposed at corner exit. Um, I'm exposed by making a small mistake going into the corner or through the corner. Cause then I'm, I'm definitely not getting that exit and he's going to be right there. So I saw a little shift in the driving style and and those are all just things that I think come without thinking too much about it for for a lot of these guys at the front but definitely um for Joseph and and then suddenly it was just like I think watching the race I I was sitting there like I don't know it doesn't even seem he doesn't even seem particularly stressed about it now he's got a little bit of a gap and he's ripping the lap off and doesn't look hard and he's doing it in a way that seems repeatable and you know that was that so it's definitely, to your point, some different points throughout the race where Joseph was having to do this with different drivers in different scenarios, and, and he's definitely among the best at it in the in the field. Well, in his own words, and he's he's told us this on the on the pod run he appeared a bit earlier in the in the year that 
you know, he he feels like he performs best when everything's against him. And, you know, we've gone through an off season where, you know, he's lost his race engineer. There's been a load of um, upheaval within the team. We've seen Penske drop from, from four cars to three. You know, there's been a, a lot of change in that team and a lot of questions about whether, you know, this team was going to be able to string things together. And then a, a nightmare opener really at St. Pete where, there was this undiagnosed issue that, that Joseph keeps discussing with, with the team and kind of going on in the background. And then he pulls off a last lap win at Texas and, and wins at Long Beach. And I think this is really key for me because 2020 and, and 2021, Joseph spent, you know, both of those years chasing one of the Ganassi cars. It was, you know, Dixon in, in 20 and, and Polo in, in 21, not necessarily through fault of his own. It's, you know, different circumstances over the course of a season where, you know, it just didn't quite start as well for him in those years. But but twenty going back to 2019, his, his last championship year, he had a great start and he's had a great start this year. Now, it's, I think, really important for him to have this strong start. And he's been quick to play down the fact that this strong start might lead to him being the person to beat this year or, or him being in the catbird seat, as I, I guess Daryl Waltrip would probably say. But it's, you know, it's, it's really a, a really strong start from him and something that, he's lacked over the last two years and, and 2020 by his own admission, he he feels was, you know, probably his best year in IndyCar or, or one of them and, and obviously didn't lead to the championship through myriad reasons. So, you know, I think this strong start is, is really, really going to, um, going to help him out. And, you know, he's said that it only takes one race now for something to go wrong and for him to, to slip back. But for me, I think this is going to be key considering the context of the last two years of, of what Newgarden has been up against and having to come from, from behind. I think this, uh, this, this fresh start that he's had, uh, despite all the adversity that he's facing is going to be really key for the championship moving forward. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think he's, I mean, for anybody and, and for particularly for has, as how up and down this year has been thus far, just through three races for a lot of the other potential contenders, that to be able to to be able to have this strong start, I think for you know when when we had Joseph on the pod preseason, he talked a lot about how he felt like his job within the organization and just on the two crew with the new engineer and Eric and and you know some different just a different situation than they've been coming at these championship fights for a couple of years now. After having two seasons where they were very much in the mix, very much a contender, and sort of just needed to have some things go. A little differently when it mattered uh, at at different at various points during the season. You know, he talked about how part of his job was just bringing a degree of confidence to that crew, and I guess I'd say like how better to do that than what he's done so far this year. And and so if if the thought process coming in is we're going to be we're we're in a position where we're going to get better through the season because we'll get to know each other better if that's their mindset and and his point of view is i just need to be able to kind of stand this thing up and and maybe put it on my back a little bit at the beginning of the year he's done that in spades i mean more than you possibly could ask for if that's if that's the mindset that you're that you're bringing to it and uh and that's you know that's a dangerous situation for everybody else if if they if they if they do in fact just continue to get better as the season goes on looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.
Obviously, Grosjean was Newgarden's closest rival and short of passing Pelot at the first attempt to save some of that push to pass. I think his race was just about as good as it could have been realistically, given that he spent the first half of it, you know, well behind the leaders and, uh, you know, out of out of win contention seemingly at that point. JR, we've spoken a lot about Grosjean's development on this podcast, especially last year through his rookie season with, with Dale Coyne. And obviously now he's switched over to to Andretti also sport, you know, are you seeing a, a big gain, do you think, on the street circuits compared to 2021? I don't know that I would necessarily say I think there's a big gain. I, part of this for sure is just Roma getting back to places that he's now already been to. So I think that's that's a big gain. And we also know, I mean, we talked about this more than once. We talked about it with Colton while he was on the pod. The Andretti cars, they're just really strong at these places and they look they look like the cars that are the easiest to like drive the hell out of basically. And so I think that, you know, we, I, you know, this is a conversation that's been had, you know, that I was having with the Foyt guys in the paddock this weekend is just, just really digging into what, what is it from the outside that looks like it makes those cars so good is just the fact that they've, they've got a stability to them. You look at Colton's, I mean, this was a topic of conversation within the paddock, generally over the course of the weekend, like looking at Colton's pole lap, it just looked, it looked easy. And part of that is him doing an excellent job executing. Like a lot of times that's how it looks. It just looks easier than it really is. But there's a, there's just a stability to the way the car particularly breaks and bends into the corner that it just looks, it looks great to drive. It looks like it makes you want to jump in and go drive it yourself. You know, and uh, so I think that Roma is also probably benefiting a little bit from getting in a car that maybe is just a little bit more dialed and and a little bit more put together as it rolls off the truck. Uh, and and I expect to see him. I this will not be the last time that he's in a fast six on a street circuit. Like uh, you know, this is this is definitely the start of us seeing Roma like up at the top of the charts, at the top of the qualifying order, and and finishing on podiums on street circuits because it just feels like the more the more he gets aligned, he and 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 Olivier get aligned with what the Andretti crew has done to to sort of build the setups and build the cars into being able to do this. Um, you know, it's it's. Uh, it just feels like it's 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 going to allow for him to attack all of those conditions, all of those sessions in ways that he maybe wasn't quite able to or wasn't able to do with the same consistency last year. Yeah, I think I, I asked Roman about this in the, the post-race press conference about his adaptation on street circuits and maybe that that was one of the maybe more difficult challenges that he faced in, in 2021 as a rookie coming into IndyCar. On, on the street circuits and and he kind of disagreed to a certain extent. He he thinks that his 2021 was was relatively strong on the street courses, although he did admit to making a couple of mistakes that that he felt his his form was strong. So that would kind of back up what you say, JR, and maybe that, you know, some of this gain is him starting to feel at home in the Andretti car. I think for for anyone who's you know listening to the podcast who, who's coming from a, an F1 background and interested in in Roman from that perspective, you know, I think it's important to say that Roman's had one one preseason test day at, at Sebring before he got into the car at, at St. Pete and, and did a great job at St. Pete. He was fifth there. So it, we're talking about a different championship here and one that, you know, Roman has not had a lot of time to stamp his own authority on this car and how it works. And I think we've seen a strong performance this weekend also off the back of, of a barber test, which was... Uh, supposed to be an Indy GP and then there was snow so it had been moved and they'd managed to slot a test in at Barber so even that wasn't ideal but Roman you know got in the car and managed to make some tweaks with his engineer Olivier Boisson there and, and that's obviously paid off um, and there so I, I just thought it was worth you know kind of pointing this out that he's had very little time in the car and although he's had a season with with Dale Coyne you know all the teams although the, the chassis are the same the cars are very different and Roman you know deserves a little bit of um, you know, a little bit of time to to adapt to the car, but he's not needed it so far, and he's you know he's Andretti's top charger at the minute. So really, really impressive on on multiple levels for me uh, across the weekend, apart from the qualifying crash. But he more than made up for that in in the race. So um, yeah, really interesting weekend for him. I think just to just to kind of close that chapter on on the discussion here, 
Yeah, thinking also just about his the difference in his situation last year to this year in terms of the team that he's on, take away the setup, you know, and, and the actual car, that component of it. He's walking, he came in last year, uh, you know, with Ed Jones as his teammate. You know, he's in a, in a team that is has not historically had any particular like stronghold in terms of where they're good and where they're not, you know, they showed up and he's bringing a lot to the table, but also questions, you know, as a driver, you're, you know, there's some things that you adapt to really quickly and understand really quickly about a car, a track, you know, a group of engineer, you know, an engineering team, you know, sort of the communication, the, the, the important components of the setup, all this kind of stuff. But it's a little bit exploratory in that sort of scenario. You've got one other car that's providing data, one other car and one other engineer. If neither of you are fast, then it's just, you're sort of on an island to figure out where do we move forward? Where do we go? And and my sense of it is Roma this year at Andretti, like one of those cars is gonna be good every session, everywhere they go, because they've got enough talent, enough good engineers, enough good drivers that some, somewhere it's going to happen. Sometimes it's going to be them. Sometimes it's going to be Alexander. Sometimes it's Colton. Sometimes it's going to be all three of them. Um, and so I guess I, I just, I'm imagining in my head for him going into qualifying at these kinds of situations, just how different that is in terms of your, ex, not, I mean, your expectation, but also your confidence and just your intention basically you know last year i imagine that he's showing up to a lot of these tracks going from fp2 to qualifying kind of like all right well i think we've i think we're probably good enough if i execute a great lap to get in the top 10 and like maybe if we just maybe if we really did make the right change then we're you know we'll crush it and we'll get in the top six whereas this year i think they probably go into every one of those sessions just knowing a lot more about where they actually stand and what they need to do to what he needs to do as a driver to be better because he's got that got access to that information and as a as a one car team you know on the in on the 28 between he and olivier with access to Colton and Nathan's data and 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 discussion and Jeremy and Alex and not to mention the Meyer Shank guys, there's just a lot more to feed off of to put them in a position when it matters to just be more prepared for it basically. And so I think that's a that, that's not a not an insignificant reason for why we can expect to see more of this i think over the course of the year particularly for roman given the differences between where he was at last year and and what that looked like and where he's at this year and and what that what they can achieve so um i guess i'd say before we move on like we can't we can't move on without discussing alex below a 10th podium in 19 races for chip ganassi racing which is pretty crazy i mean they they seemed like the class of the field last year just as a group we've talked about that at length alex obviously coming out on top do you think the reigning champ is being underestimated here in 2022 just in terms of his chances of winning the title he went he, he flew under the radar for a lot of the year last year he wasn't the most flashy he wasn't winning a ton of races over the course of the year and and was rarely didn't have the sort of dominant form that we occasionally saw from from Colton that you occasionally see from Dixon and, and even Joseph, but he's right there and he's been there all year so far this year. I mean, what, what's your take on that, Jack? Yeah, I think if you'd have asked me before the weekend whether he was being underestimated, I definitely would have said yes. Uh, I don't think too many people after watching this weekend will underestimate him. And if they do, they're a bit silly. I think JR, to be frankly, very honest, because, you know, look at his season so far. He was second in St. Pete, you know, seventh in Texas, which, you know, definitely went under the radar and was kind of like a a, a mere result. Like no, no one was really talking about that, but, you know, a, a strong top 10 and then he, he's delivered a, a podium again and, you know, could have won that race on a, you know, on a knife edge of, of things just going slightly differently in, in, in how that all worked out. So definitely worth keeping an eye on our, our reigning champion. Seems a bit silly to talk about him being underestimated a couple of seconds after you've just mentioned that he's the reigning champion. But uh, <laughs> it's 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 if it definitely felt like coming into this weekend that he was not being given the the kind of respect that that he probably deserved as the reigning champion. And uh, part of that was obviously Penske's strong start and, and what they were able to do in the first two races. But even then, you know, I, I look at, 
you know, especially after this weekend now with, with Scotty having a few issues and, and finishing 14th after uh, qualifying ninth. And then he had the, the spin in the race trying to pass Tatiana Calderon. He was just behind her at the, the hairpin and, and just touched, I think, this, even the side pod on the inside of the, the hairpin, which was uh, quite an unusual thing to see. But it, with Joseph having 16th at St. Pete and, and Scott having 14th at, at Long Beach, that's kind of like one of their, you know, three finishes that you can have that far down. In, in a championship year uh, yeah. out of the way already. Whereas, whereas Alex has been in the top seven in all three races, two podiums, as you mentioned, 10 in 10 in 19, which is just frankly absurd to be able to score 10 podiums in 19 races with a, with a team. Um, not to mention that this is, you know, starting his third season in IndyCar and all, all we hear off these elite drivers is how high the level is in this championship. And then you've got someone like Alex Pillow who, has not had the best junior single-seater career of, of anyone out there and uh, has come in, you know, relatively quiet under the radar season for Dale Coyne and then jumps in at Ganassi and, and dominates. And he, he's had a, you know, frankly, had a fantastic start to, to 2022. He might not be leading the points, but I, I don't think everything's clicked for him yet. And he's still third and hasn't finished outside of the top seven. So I definitely think Alex Blow is someone everybody should be keeping a much closer eye on after that kind of notice of uh, Long Beach uh, reminding people that he's he's there for for keeps. One person I've got to get your thoughts on JR is Colton Herter. You know, we have to accept that drivers are going to make mistakes. And I think Colton, um, as we mentioned on this podcast before, has been one of the best drivers on the grid at learning from his mistakes or things that he's not been the best at during his time in IndyCar, whether that's, you know, learning to be more consistent in, in races, whether that's looking after the tyres, fuel saving, they're all things that he's focused on in an off season and developed that and, and become much more rounded as a driver afterwards. But this is another, uh, can I call it an unforced? I, I'm calling it an unforced error. I think people could probably argue with that, but you know, he's, he's obviously under a lot of pressure trying to claw back the ground that he'd lost in, in the race there and, and under a lot of pressure to win the race. So unforced might be unfair, but, you know, it's 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 not been caused by anybody else other than himself. So I guess that's what I'm getting at with that. But, you know, that's on a street circuit. Um, you know, a lot of people pointing back to Nashville as a, another similar incident of, of, of a similar thing happening there. So I guess also now, unlike before, he has a teammate in, in Grosjean, who we've just discussed, who looks to be at least somewhere close to his level and now sits fifth in the points, whereas Colton's, you know, now 11th, 59 points off the, the championship lead. So do you think it's time to hit the panic button yet on Herter's title chances this year? Or are you confident there's enough time and that he can kind of rebound from this and, and turn it back around again? Well, I think there, I think it's, I think the answer is both of those things. There is definitely enough time for him to rebound. <laughs> there, there's no no question there's enough time for his for him to rebound. You've got a double points event at Indy coming up. That all by itself can completely reset your championship. Um, you know, whether that should be like that or not, Jack, I know is a sensitive topic for you, but um Whoa. The, uh, the, Whoa. there's a lot of there's a lot of racing left to do in this championship. We know how volatile results can be. So if Colton strings together a handful of good events and can keep that going, you know, I, I still have every bit of belief that he's as capable of doing that as anybody is, uh, you know, if, if there's, if there, there's three or four guys in this championship that at any point during the year, at any combination of races can just get it right, have things click and rip off a string of wins. Colton is definitely among those three or four guys uh, to, to talk about this. So that being said, this I, it's absolutely, I think, correct to call this an unforced error. And that's, I'm sure for him and, and for their group, um, they're, they're tight. So this is not going to become problematic for them. But if you just, if you had Colton's honest opinion about it, I'm sure he would say it was like a totally unacceptable issue. You know, I mean, he said it was a stupid mistake. I mean, it's just, that's, that's not the type he knows that, right? Like it's not, we're not, we're not like saying something that he doesn't already know in terms of what that means yeah. and, and how important not doing things like that is. Uh, the other time that we saw this was at Nashville. We talked about that a little bit at the time. 
I'm not, I don't want to dig too deep into the, the sort of, you know, mindset or, or attitude that, that is involved there. Cause I don't really know, but if I was to put myself in that position, I've been in races, whether it's been in the lights or, or in the Indy car where you just, there's a point in the race or, or through a weekend that you just sort of, you don't start to think it's like a foregone conclusion that you're just going to be the guy to beat all day but where you really think you've got a chance not only at winning but like maybe it just like burying everybody and that's where colton's at at some of these races nashville was like that you know long beach was like that last year uh this is this was a similar situation for him where it's it's sort of like if everything goes right he's probably thinking he's winning this race by you know a few corners and and then suddenly something changes and it's going that way. And then suddenly something changes and they have a bad pit stop and they get kind of off strategy. And then suddenly it's, it's not as easy to make those couple of passes to get themselves back into the spot. And it, it makes you uh, from the outside without, without like just saying, this is what's happening. It makes you wonder if there's just a little bit of a rush, like a, you feel a little hurried and that's, I can say from my own experience, like knowing this is a driver, like that's just not the, that's not the right headspace to, to perform at the, at your highest level. And uh, so it's, it's not to say for sure that that that's what's going on in those situations, but from the outside, it feels a little bit like that and, or it looks a little bit like that. And that's, uh, you know, again, that, that's something that, Colton's going to know that if that's what was going on. And this is just another thing that he's got to, he's got to turn around from and come back from. He'll be thus far through his career. I'm, I'm giving Colton the benefit of the doubt here because everything you talked about that he's learned from and, and figured out, you know, this is just going to be another one of those things. Okay. We've seen him do this more than once, but even just talking about Roman being there and, and having, the measure of him it seems like at a lot of these places that's something new that's something that he's going to have to deal with this year and he'll be better for it because i think he'll figure that out and or at least get used to it and and be a stronger driver on the other side of it however long that takes or whatever that process is like because of it so this is definitely not the weekend that colton wanted to have here and 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 that's that's obvious to say but there's, there is still time. And, uh, as long as, as long as that learning process is in place here and, and he looks at it the same way that he's looked at other things that, you know, he can get better at then, you know, then I think they're very much still in contention. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. You see a family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So kind of, kind of on a linked topic... JR, I kind of just wanted to get into to, to Pato Ward a bit on, on this as well, because it feels like Colton's got all of the the kind of momentum of the, the news, uh, you know, over the past few weeks. And we had him on the podcast. If you've not listened to that and, and go back and pick some of that up. But obviously his junior deal with McLaren has, has gained a lot of uh, media attention. He's been in, you know, he's been linked to to a Formula One drive for, for a long time now. And, and people are always talking about how he can, people like us, I mean, Joe, I'm not just saying this as like, as, as outsiders, people like us talking about how Colton can go in and just dominate a weekend and can be one of the most uh, dominant forces in, in the IndyCar paddock at a time when the grid is so strong and, and that shouldn't be able to, to, to happen. And it does because Colton is, you know, is able to reach these, these incredible peaks. But when you talk about, how quickly momentum can shift JR in IndyCar is absolutely spectacular because all of the, the talk about Pato has been, you know, on a, on a downward spiral has been talk about, you know, what he's going to do next year. Maybe, you know, it's, it's quite clear from the outside, even that there's a bit of a rift between, you know, Pato and 
elements of that team or organization whereby you know the the future has not been you know arranged with, between the two of them so far and that has come with the context of some more engineering moves that they made in the off season and, and seemingly a lot of momentum coming into the season and then for Pato at least two really bad results to, to start the season and yet a top five uh, at, at Long Beach which by the way I think you have to give props to how hard Pato um, as well as as well as the team have been working because this has not been a situation where Pato said I'm thinking about leaving the team and then throwing all his toys out of the prime and decided he doesn't want to work and, and, and try and win IndyCar races anymore it's been quite the opposite because Pato knows that, you know, if he's going to get a, a new contract with McLaren or if he's going to get a contract elsewhere, then that's going to come through him having good results, not through him, uh, you know, having a having a, a fit in the media or, or throwing his toys out the pram. So th- this has not been a period of time where Pato has not been trying extremely hard to work with his team to, to solve these issues. And I think the, the post-race press conference he gave uh, after the race was, was really fitting of that. And it's very clear that he's very tightly knit with, the, the people that he works with on a day-to-day basis there and that it was a, a massive thing for him to give them a good result with fifth and just going back to Colton that means Pato is now ninth in the championship and Colton's 11th and I know Colton had the the trouble at Texas in, in the pit stop and then obviously he's had the crash here but all of the negative talk about Aaron McLaren SP and, and Pato and, and what's been happening there and suddenly you know he's the the, the kind of momentum can just swing so quickly, can't it? In the series, it's it's baffling. What what do you make of this, Jr? It's it's incredible how quickly things can change, isn't it? It is. It, I mean, and that's that's something I think we're used to we're used to in in some fashion. I think that one of the things that's worth pointing out is just that, and drivers, as I mean, I've learned this over the course of my career, and it's a little bit of just baptism of fire, like. You either you learn it in a good way or you learn it in a bad way or or whatever. But there's also just a bit of a difference in the attitude that these guys bring to the table that I think is is a small part of this, which is that Colton is Colton has a they're they're both extremely confident guys. They're both obviously capable of bringing an incredible degree of performance to the table. And in some in some respects, in similar ways, you know, they've both they've both had these just like really standout performances. And and you wouldn't say that they have the same driving style or that they even have these sort of dominant moments or performances in the same way. They're they're different from that perspective. Uh, You know, Colton's kind of been like thing rolls off the truck and it just clicks and he's untouchable for a weekend. Pato has it's been more situational with him that you've just seen just in a, all of a sudden he's just hauling the mail and has figured something out that nobody else has figured out for the track or the conditions that day. And, or, or something he's just, he gets like that. He gets like some Senna energy and just goes completely nuts. And both of those things are, are incredible to watch. And, awesome storylines and and uh and make these guys individually really special uh pato every week he come up with one of these sayings hole in the mail Where, where's that come from that's spectacular hole in the mail i don't know it's like a it's a it's an american euphemism i guess i've that's never right. i've never i've never heard that before hauling the mail um anyway <laughs> the uh the uh, <laughs> Maybe yeah, I'm gonna need I'm gonna need some of our, our U.S. podcast listeners to back me up on this on Twitter afterwards. Um, the that so all of that being said, Colton's just come at this with a a bit of a just in terms of his attitude publicly or or as we experience it from the outside. I feel like he's 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 got there's an openness to whatever is coming next for him that is sort of like it's easy to get behind and it's sort of refreshing that it's just like, look, I'm just doing me. And you feel like he's, he's within himself kind of at all times in the car. When he makes mistakes, he's, he's, he's open. He just tells it how it is. He's pretty, he does it in sort of a thoughtful manner. I guess I would say that it's just, you know, it is what it is. He's moving on the next thing. He's not thinking too hard about it. You know, there's not, you know, whatever, however, it's going to be he talked about it on the podcast. He, he felt like just being that way is kind of one of his superpowers in a way that he, he can, he, he's just not 
easily he doesn't hang on to distractions when he doesn't need to and and all this kind of stuff whereas you know with pato we've seen that same thing in some ways but like like when he didn't qualify for the indy 500 a few years ago he had crashed earlier in the week in practice didn't qualify for the race you know didn't qualify. yeah i didn't qualify for the race didn't didn't get through qualifying um and he just didn't seem to care you know it was like like yeah whatever like this is this is all going to work out for me but there was yeah there was like a small bit of it to me at that time and and this this sticks with me a little bit with with pato that he's kind of like he has sort of a confidence that it's just that like i'm great so it's going to work out for me one way or the other and there's and that's a little bit different than how colton comes across there they're similar in terms of the drive the the attitude that manifests from that from their or the 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 in-car attitude that manifests from that general perspective and attitude is pretty similar but how it comes across and and sort of how i think it feels when you're interacting with them is is markedly different and and i guess that's kind of to say like for colton if some of these things don't end up working out for him that's going to just be he's going to he's kind of take so far at least he's sort of taking some of that stuff in stride from a career perspective like if he gets these chances great he's going to go take advantage of them. if he doesn't then he doesn't and whatever whereas with pato there's a little bit of his positioning right now that and and even as a as a team i would say to a to a to some degree at least that they've not yet actually and and he not yet has actually really proved that he's there and he is for sure that guy and uh it's not to say that we don't all think that he is or can be or whatever but i think a little bit like his post post race comments to me i was glad to hear that that he's just you know he's like look i gotta just get back to doing I got to just get back to being me and doing me and that's going to be good enough because that's the truth. Like if he can just get back to doing him, being being him, being his the best version of himself inside the car, he's going to be the best version of himself outside of the car. He's that changes the like if you can get really centered around that, it's going to change the way that you interact with everybody and it's going to change the the overall attitude that you have just about the whole everything your career your your driving your your attitude your you know how good you feel when you're showing up at the racetrack you know it's he needs to uh, it's like it needs to just get simplified a little bit and uh i think he he knows that and and that's what i'm that's what i'm hopeful to see from him is yo man just go do your thing and the reality of it is that like all the rest of this will just kind of work itself out one way or the other. Some of it's out of your control, you know, and, and the thing that matters the most, it's, it's not whether everybody thinks you're a big deal. It's not, it's not how anybody thinks you stack up against Colton. If that's, if that happens to be something that's on his mind or, or, you know, we've, we've speculated or people have speculated that maybe that's a part of this with, with Pato and the McLaren thing. Um, you know, I, I, I like, I like Pato the best when he's just out there nose down and, and we're, we're waiting for those moments to occur during race weekends where he just, you know, flashes some crazy, you know, uh, some crazy talent that, that you, that, you know, we've, we've had him in Detroit still stands out for me last year, where it's just like, who else was going to do that? Nobody. Um, so it's it's a tricky situation. I think they if he's put himself in a little bit of a weird spot here, and he's I think in some respects he's responsible for some of the tension that exists. And uh, but by by refocusing on just doing what he's there to do when he shows up at the track. Yeah, I think there's a uh, an element of Pato's attitude and decision-making, et cetera, coming from a, a background of constantly having the rug pulled from underneath him. So I, I think Pato is uh, very forward-thinking and 
sees the bigger picture perhaps more than people might give him credit for and that he is kind of he's kind of been been through the grinder already at his age um, in terms of opportunities uh, manifesting themselves and then being taken away or things not going um the the, the way that he felt they they should have or or, or deserve to and that he sees um you know everything that you were talking about you know wanting to see the pato award that we know can be there on the track can't happen unless he you know assures his future and makes sure that he's in a position to be able to do that on a on a long term basis so i think that's where a lot of um pato's kind of thinking and uh, decision making is is coming from as well uh you jr you mentioned uh, the 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 the, the brilliant saying that you had earlier on about delivering the post, whatever that was. <laughs> yeah. What was it again? Hauling the mail. Hauling the mail. So Scott McLaughlin has got to be the postman then for the first two races <laughs> because he led 63% of the laps, I think, over the first two races of the season, which was incredible, obviously. Uh, no, no one needs us to... Uh, go back over that again, but he had a bit more of a, a difficult down-to-earth weekend in, in Long Beach, as we mentioned earlier, with his spin at the hairpin. Uh, just wanted to kind of, I don't think we need to get too much into that because we've spoken about it already. He also had to change his engine before the race as well, which would have made kind of knowing the inside-out fuel mileage of the engine uh, won't, quite have, won't quite have been there as it might have been, but I don't think there were too many issues there, but a, a 14th place finish means he, he slots in behind Joseph now. Um, with 113 points compared to Joseph Newgarden's 118. I wondered if you wanted to uh, address Kyle Kirkwood's race because I thought he had a, a really strong weekend. And I guess being in the Foyt camp, you got to see inside some of that. I think before you do, I, I would just like to say that I thought it the, the weekend was much more impressive for me than just the result because I think he'd come off, um, you know, the St. Pete race where he was impressive, but the strategy you know, wasn't quite there. Um, you know, no offence to, to the Foyt team because a lot of teams tried the, the strategy that Kyle did, obviously, and it's just one of them things where you have to try it. It doesn't work out. Then, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. You have to move on. Uh, Texas, obviously, I think Noah's, you know, w- watched back the onboard from, you know, his, his mad overtaking on that restart and, uh, you know, uh, him running wild, basically, in, in the race, which was great to see, but also pointed towards a bit of a, you know, inherent risk risk factor in how he was approaching that race and that maybe, um, you know, that could come back to bite him and, and ultimately it did um, with with Texas. So I felt Long Beach was, you know, not a not a make or break race by, by any means, but a race where he really needed to have a solid, strong performance where he just delivered on the pace that he's shown over the first two races and, and combine that into a finish that shows where this kind of team and and where he is operating at the moment. So that's why I found this race really impressive. What did you see from from the inside this weekend? What insight can you kind of give to to how Kyle performed at the weekend? Yeah, I mean, I've I've been super impressed with Kyle so far. And, uh, you know, I I can't say necessarily, I didn't know for sure what to expect, but watching him in Indy Lights and just being around him a little bit, it's, it's not totally surprising to me that he's been this good. But I think just taking into consideration too, that like he'd never been to long beach before like his first time on track. You have two one hour practice sessions interrupted constantly by red flags on a team where he's the, he's the leading guy there's and, and that the track's totally different than last year. It was like three seconds faster than the track was last year. So data from last year is totally irrelevant uh, to be able to just get in the car and have that kind of a feel. I mean, that, that, to be good in that situation depends on you just having an innate feel for what the car is capable of doing and then going out and extracting that. And so to be able to do that as a rookie, you know, in this scenario on, on a team that doesn't, you know, that, that you're, you are the guy and you're not, you're not really getting a lot of help um, in terms of figuring out, you know, where you can, it being just obvious when you come in, compare that to Roma, you know, coming in, not a rookie this year, but coming in and having, you know, three to five teammates worth of information to kind of nitpick. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very impressed with Kyle. He's, he's got it. He's, you know, what, however you just decide to describe what it is, 
um, he's got it and he's, he's not overwhelmed by, and we talk about kind of just that awareness on track. He's not, he's not overwhelmed by being out there and being in, in difficult situations, being in new situations. Uh, he's, he's got like some bandwidth driving the car. And so that that's, it's, it's really cool to see a young American guy. And, and I hope that, I hope like you've brought this up that everybody recognizes that, you know, we should be talking about this guy kind of the same way that we were talking about Joseph Newgarden early in his career, you know, like this is, he's going to be, he's in that mix of drivers and yeah, for sure. I, I like, I I'll, I'll put my stamp on that today. Um, and so, you know, his rate, yeah, the way that his race unfolded, you know, they, they didn't, they just didn't quite have the pace of the top five, you know, like even in qualifying, it was kind of like, he's, he's, you know, losing a couple hundredths in every corner or something like there's just a little bit everywhere that, uh, you know, maybe comes from, you compare that, you compare what, what he's working with, you know, to what, Penske, Ganassi, Andretti, those organizations are working with some of that. Some of that is him. You know, there's always a little bit more when you know where it is seeing from other guys. Some of that I think is also just in the setup of the car, but the Foyt guys are doing a really good job of giving him something to work with and go out there and figure things out and it's, and it's drivable and he, he can go kind of attack with it. That'll, I think, just continue to improve because they're, they're having good runs right away from St. Pete to here. They've been on pace, been on target. Been, he's obviously qualified in top 12 twice. Um, so two for two in his early career uh, in, in a stacked field from that perspective is, is impressive all by itself. And, uh, you know, getting through the race, they'll just keep getting better at it. You know, you're in and out laps. will continue to improve. He's already good. He'll just continue to improve. Um, you know, I don't have anything but, but good things to say about, about the kid. And I'm looking forward to getting, getting, a, getting the speedway with him. And, and I guess just as, as a super quick note, I'll let you bounce back to that, but to talk about Scott for a second, the only thing that I want to say about, about Scott McLaughlin over the course of the weekend was he was such a gentleman in that whole situation in qualifying. Like I, I love the fact that one of the things that I really like about him and, and it, it screwed him sort of in that situation uh, and he might get caught out by this again, but he's got like a Scott Dixon-esque humility in the car uh, and, and outside the car for that matter. But there's, you, you know, that you've seen from the first two, two race weekends that like when that, when that V8 supercars champion mentality like kicks in, you know, that's a champ. That's a, yeah, it's just as stacked from a, from a performance or, or competitiveness perspective as IndyCar is to win there, to dominate there, to do what he did there. Like you have to build up an insanely robust, like mental attitude to how you drive the car and how you compete. And last year it was almost like he sort of didn't, didn't put himself in a position where he could really let that come out. Like he, there was too much stuff that he was just trying to figure out about driving the car that you didn't really see that. It's not an aggression. It's almost like a, a, a just it, there's a degree, there's a part of it that's almost like arrogance in the car, but not not in a bad way. Just just like kind of when you know that you can go do it, it's just different than when you're still figuring stuff out. And uh, but that like that situation in qualifying where basically he he passed a car and then ended up letting them back by or letting a car back back past him and no, it was marcus marcus erickson was on a flying lap was he and was he actually on a flyer kind of, though or was he just catching up yeah no he's on a flyer and, okay. and he kind of felt like scott had held him up but I, from what i could see it was just a, a bit of circumstance where scott moved over as quickly as he physically possibly could get out of the way and then Mar marcus kind of saw that as his lap being ruined which uh, i don't necessarily believe that that was that was the case. I think Marcus could have finished that lap without losing, you know, much time there, or or if if any. But yeah, that was a a, weird, a kind of weird incident of circumstances where kind of both drivers were a little bit to blame, but also kind of you can kind of give both of them a little bit of leeway in terms of what actually happened as to you know who was to blame with that. It was it was a difficult one. Yeah, I guess I guess at the end of the, either way, like what I liked about Scott's approach there was that 
he was kind of like willing to just take it on the take it on the chin to some degree and like the fact that he like that's i guess just not everybody does that right like not everybody's trying to pay attention to making sure that they play by the rules and there's there's all these things that are sort of like gentlemen's agreements between the drivers about how you're going to treat each other and how you're going to move around and you know lap traffic and and all this sort of stuff that when it comes down to it it's the heat of the moment not everybody actually like abides by and i just feel like scott's putting himself in a position to to make good on how he started this season with that type of like outlook you know that he's not going to get pissed off he's not going to come in screaming at everybody because like it didn't go his way or something and uh you know in the race like that the mistake that was kind of it was a uncharacteristic mistake for him in the in the race i mean was he caught off guard a little bit by having to get through lap traffic? Yes, but also just sort of a, you know, I mean, it's just it's just a driving error basically to get too close to the wall on the inside. Um, but I think he'll, you know, he'll obviously come back. He'll come back out of this weekend, I think, refocused. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing him and Joseph kind of battle it out for the rest of the year, for sure. He was definitely busier than a cat in a sandbox this weekend, wasn't he? For sure. Just going back to, to Kyle Kirkwood, I think all I wanted to mention was we, we spoke earlier about how difficult outlaps were to do in, in IndyCar. And JR, you just mentioned Kyle there. He had, I think he had, I think three of his out, all three of his outlaps in St. Pete were in the top seven of, of the total outlaps in the race. Yeah. And then he was fifth again last weekend um, behind. David Malukas, uh, another rookie who delivered a, a stonking outlap, um, albeit one that was done, I presume, because I've not watched the whole onboard, but one where he was further back in the pack and I imagine had quite a bit of clean air. And then Joseph Newgarden, Roman Grosjean, Alex Pelot and, and Kyle Kirkwood was, was the order there. So, yeah, we talk about, uh, uh, you know, outlaps are not uh, a golden bullet for working out who the best driver in IndyCar is because a lot of it still comes down to the car setup and, and how well that car is performing, even if it is on cold tyres. But it does give you an idea of the guys who are hauling the mail and uh, are really able to extract that lap time, even on freezing cold tyres, because don't forget, there's no tyre warmers like there are in F1. The tyres are going on at you know, basically track temperature. So it's it's really sketchy. And for a, for a, dry, for a rookie to come in and be that consistently good at that, that sort of... Um, that area of, of that attribute, let's call it, is is really, really impressive. JR, we've got Barber coming up next in terms of the IndyCar race calendar. But you mentioned at the top of the show, we've also got the Indianapolis Open Test. You'll be there with AJ Foyt, obviously. And I just wanted to ask, obviously, the 500 has more practice time than pretty much, well, it does have more practice time than any other event on the calendar. So what are you actually trying to achieve at the end of the open test and you know if we're trying to explain this to the listeners you know what would be considered the ideal scenario following that test if you'd achieved everything that you wanted to to work through what would the result of that be i can say for us the biggest thing is just going to be to understand where we're at relative to last year and re-establish that baseline going into the you know upcoming event at the speedway uh you know if you can get a sense for some development work that, you know, some of the teams that have done a lot of development work over the off season, will probably be trying some of that stuff out just to gather some data. So it's, it's just establishing in, in a general sense, it's establishing your, you know, 2022 baseline for, for the 500. And, um, you know, most of that, I think it's just going to be focused on, on the, on sort of race setup. There's not enough time to be playing around too much with qualifying, but, uh, that's that's really what this test is about and you know the the biggest thing that we're focused on at the test is just going to be and i think teams in general are going to be focused in, in the same way is just re-establishing you know what do you what do you feel like you know going into 2022 from 2021 what have you worked on over the off season and and just creating that baseline for going into the actual event this year mega well i hope that electric scooter race that's going on in the background is enjoyable to watch <laughs> 
that's uh, that's that's all for this week's the race indycar <laughs> podcast with a busy race in the books and a busy schedule upcoming with that open test and barber coming up as we mentioned don't forget you can tweet and email us with any questions that you want jr and i to answer presumably you'll want jr to answer them but i can also answer some questions if you want them if you want me to or if you have an idea of a guest that you'd love to see on the pod let us know we've had all the 2022 race winners it's not that many, to be honest. It's just Joseph Bugard and Scott McLaughlin on the show already in 2022. So we're always open to suggestions of who that next star guest could be. Let us know if there's any anyone you want us to, to grab before the on-track sort of action gets going again. Don't forget to check out the hyphenrace.com for the latest IndyCar features. And we'll be back soon with another episode. Thank you for joining us. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.